Welcome to the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Each week, we bring you discussions with educators on how they use blended, self-paced, and mastery-based learning to better serve their students. We believe teachers learn best from each other, so this is our way of lifting up the voices of leaders and innovators in our community. This is the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 118 of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. My name is Tony Rostian and she, they pronouns, a community engagement manager at Modern Classroom. And I am joined today by Jim Hall, they, them pronouns, a high school IB chemistry and ESS teacher just north of Austin, Texas, a DMCE and a Modern Classrooms mentor. They have a passion for tea, science and pedagogy. Welcome, Jim. Hey, how's it going? It is so exciting to be in this space with you, and thank you so much for saying yes to the podcast. Um, Before we get started, how are you feeling today? I am feeling relaxed, refreshed, a little bit full still from Thanksgiving. Um, Have been trying to relax as much as I can. Um, Yeah, I'm feeling good. And that's always music to my ears when a teacher says they're feeling good and well-rested and all of that good stuff, right? So um, I do have a follow-up question um, before we get started. You know, passion for tea, is that like drinking tea or like gossip tea? Oh, it's it's a little bit of both but my my motivation for putting it in there was actually the 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 drink. Um I love the the brewing of it. It's a very ritualistic. I love the science behind it, the way that it's made, the culture surrounding it from different cultures. It's it's just great. It's a great thing. And you know what? For me, the passion was like the other tea because, you know, I worked with middle schoolers, mm. so they always had tea for me. Um, but I actually recently this year just started drinking tea. I've always wanted to drink tea when I was younger, but it never picked up. And But this year, I've just been like really consistent with drinking tea. So you've kind of inspired me to get to know a little bit more about the tea culture and the tea history. So I'll definitely be reaching out and talking to you about that. I'd love to help. Absolutely. Yes. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, So Jim, tell us more about who you are and how you started your modern classroom journey. Absolutely. So um, this is my fourth year teaching, so I'm pretty new. Um, I came to Modern Classrooms Project through an optional blended learning professional development I did during the 2020-2021 school year. as soon as I saw the first instructional video, I think it was the one with uh, Kareem in his math classroom, the Edutopia video. Loved that video. Um, so I immediately latched onto it and did what I could before taking the M- MCP course over the summer. So yeah, I've I been doing it since. I love that. I feel like a lot of our implementers actually start out because they saw Kareem's Edutopia video. So that's really dope that that's how you got started. So, okay. Today we're talking about inquiry-based learning, which is something that I've always been so curious about because I think I was doing it in my classroom, but I'm not quite sure. So I'm really excited to kind of pick your brain a little bit. So what is your definition of inquiry-based learning and how did you get hip about inquiry-based learning? Well, I think inquiry-based learning looks very different between different subject groups. I know for me, primarily science, it looked a lot more 
like engaging students in problem solving, um, looking at data, looking at um, a phenomenon during the actual learning process rather than after they learn all the subject vocabulary. So most of my labs are actually at the beginning of a unit and that that looking at the data part is part of the lab discussions during class. And we talk through and I don't give any answers. I guide them through the discussion. Um, I think it's been working really, really well. Um, so that's just in my chemistry class. But ESS, Environmental Systems and Societies, for those who are not in the IB world, um, that one is a lot more of a hybrid between science and social studies or like a, a humanities class. So it's much more elucidating the students' ideas or opinions on a topic and engaging in those throughout the class discussion over a specific topic or idea. I didn't even know what ESS stood for, and I should have probably asked earlier. So thank you for clarifying. And that actually sounds like a very dope class. Oh, I just did a training on it. It is one of it. I wish I had learned about this class before because it is an amazing class. Was this something that you signed up to do or were you voluntold to do this? It was very much a voluntold situation, but... I was informed the of two options, and I was fine with both of them, either physics or ESS. Both of them I loved. So I'm just happy I got ESS. It's been fun. Yeah, I mean, I can only imagine the different types of discussions that you and your students have in the class based on, like, everything that's happening right now as well, you know? So a, a follow-up question, because I do love some follow-up questions, Jim. Um, you said that labs are in the beginning of your unit or beginning of a lesson or whatever it is that you're doing, right? So when you say that you guide them through discussion, do you already have those questions ready for them or do they create their questions? How does that work? So I, I basically start by asking them, what do you see in your data? And I basically, at this point, let them go. But at first, I had to guide them a little bit more so that they stayed on topic. Or I go in with an end in mind with what I want them to take away from the lesson. So there's always an end in mind. And I'm sort of guiding the discussion with that end in mind. Okay. And I really like that you stated that, right? Like keeping the end in mind, because that's where like backwards planning happens, right? Or that's how backwards planning happens, because you do just keep the end in mind, so that you're very intentional and meaningful with all of the tasks and um, activities and everything else that you have for that unit. So, okay, cool. Yeah, I love that. That's a really great reminder for our listeners and for myself as well as I continue to plan for whatever it is I'm planning for. Um Okay, so uh, you you teach in an IB school, which is great because I taught in IB school as well, and so that's um, it's a lot of fun. It's very different, but it's not different if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, there's like a framework that is very different to what I learned at growing up, but it's still very it's it's a lot more holistic and looking at all of their subjects together rather than these are individual classes that don't have don't overlap at all they encourage the like interdisciplinary work 
Yeah, and I, I really appreciate that when I worked at the IB school back in D.C., and it just really pushed my teaching pedagogy and my um, teaching perspective and, and philosophy, honestly, and I I just loved it just because it was so very much like student-centered. It was very much like you, you're going to be accountable for what you're learning. <laughs> yes, and I think personally it in the actual ideology of IB – it encourages inquiry-based learning. Like, yes, there's some a lot of concepts they have to know in the, the diploma program that I teach with, but a lot of them are fundamental concepts that need to be understood and applied rather than just known, which I think ties into the idea of inquiry-based learning. Yeah, I... Gosh, now I remember um, because I taught for six years at a public school that was not an IB school. And then I went over to an IB school and I just remember being like, what does inquiry base mean? Like I need help because, you know, we have the statement of inquiry that we have to have for each unit. And then we had to have questions that our students are going to be answering throughout the unit. And so it was it was a switch for me. And I just really had to figure out what it meant to to have inquiry-based learning in my classroom. So with that being said, how did you align or connect your inquiry-based learning with, with the modern classroom model? So I connect, I sort of do-ish the 5e model, but on the unit scale rather than the lesson scale, because I look at the unit overall and the skills within the unit that they need to develop. And I prioritize the labs to be mainly at the beginning of the unit, as I said before, but those lab experiences are to get an idea of the essential ideas within the unit. Um, And then as we progress throughout the unit, we pull back from the lab experiences and start pulling in the disciplinary vocabulary and actually look at those phenomena through the vocabulary that we actually need to use according to IB or the subject that we are actually doing. So when you do the lab experiences in the beginning, do you also have lab like in the middle or at the end just to kind of see if there's a difference between when they did it in the beginning versus how they did in the end? Yes. So I have, I often have labs as assessments at the end of a unit when it's a unit that is really lab oriented. I'm not going to do that necessarily for, say, atomic structure in chemistry, but I'll do that for something like thermochemistry, um, where there's actually a lot of lab skills and a lot of math that applies to a lab. So sometimes I have them at the end. Um, I do occasionally have some in the middle of a unit, but I try to keep my units pretty short so they don't really last long enough to have a middle it's usually just beginning and end. So how long do you would you say your units are? My goal is usually to have my units between three weeks to five weeks in length. Five weeks is on the long end when I get to things like organic chemistry, but usually approaching three to four weeks. 
I really like that it doesn't drag it out, and you know, there's always fresh, uh, a fresh unit, fresh lessons, all of that, so students don't feel like they're getting behind for too long, right? Exactly. Yes. Since you're talking about labs, I know that we get a lot of questions from our listeners and our implementers about labs. How do you do self-pacing, blended learning, or mastery-based learning when it comes to labs? Mm. So um, oftentimes I don't do labs during the self-pacing portions. So if I'm doing a mid-unit lab, I have a window for my self-pacing part of the unit and then go back to it after the lab. But there's a certain skills that they must have before they get to that lab. So those are their must-dos. And then there's should-dos and aspire-to-dos. We are all aware of the the structure. <laughs> but um, I think that is the way I've been able to do middle of the unit labs. But be- beginning of the unit labs, they don't need to know any of the stuff that we are doing in the unit with the labs that I do because they're supposed to be discovery. They're supposed to be engaging with the ideas without the vocabulary to hide behind. So one of the ones that I love doing for a unit in kinetics, all about like how reactions move and how they, um, how fast they go is a simple rubber band activity. One student puts together and ties together two rubber bands and puts it in a separate box. Another student does the inverse of that, so takes them apart. And every group does this and tracks it for five minutes. And they take stop at the each minute mark to see how many are left in each box. And it really shows you how a forward and reversed reaction happens and where the equilibrium between that lies. So tying in kinetics and equilibrium without even pulling any chemicals out. You know, I really like this thought process to our learning process, honestly, because you're then kind of creating this entry for all students, right? So even if students didn't know what it is, or if they did have all the knowledge about everything that you're you're teaching, right? It still kind of creates that like, okay, we're going to discover together as a group or as a, you know, as a small group, as a whole class, exactly what we're talking, what you're going to be learning about. So I really, I really like that. And I really appreciate that. And I'm sure your students are really excited about that as well, right? Oh, yeah. My students love the, the way of doing a lab without having to do a lab report. Their least favorite thing is to do a lab report. But when they get to just have fun in the lab and do it for a learning experience without a grade attached, they do so much more authentic understanding than they would if I attached a grade to it. Yeah, and it allows them to be curious, right? And we really want to spark that curiosity. We want them to be interested. We want them to be excited about what they're learning about. And I, I, I completely agree with you is that when students feel that they're not being graded, then they can kind of like loosen up a bit and they can kind of, you know, get excited and make all the mistakes. And that's okay because it's part of the learning, the learning process. Another thing too, I think that our listeners really appreciate or definitely I do is that it's just a reminder that, you know what, not every single thing you do in your classroom has to be self-paced or blended learning or mastery-based learning, right? You can kind of like... Mm-hmm 
do a hybrid model of that, uh, depending on the unit and the skills that you're teaching. But I really like the reminder that, you know what, labs, like we kind of do that together as a whole class in small groups. There's really no self-pacing involved, but it's just kind of a way to get them to activate their prior knowledge or, or even just see where they're at. Yeah. Right. And, and I, I, I really love that. Um, but I know that I've seen some science teachers who do labs with students and they do self-pace. Some of the ideas or some of the things that they've implemented is that, for example, uh, their videos will consist of going over lab rules, safety rules, right? Mm-hmm. Going over the materials that you're going to use in the lab. And then students have to watch the video, you know, show that they actually know what the video was about so that they are going to go to the lab part and be safe and appropriate with everything they're doing. Um, Because I can't, I can only imagine high school, middle school (laughs) children with a whole bunch of stuff that, (laughs) whew. Um, can't even think about that. Thank goodness I'm an English teacher. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. and I just thought that that was such a cool way. I mean, I've also seen, um, science teachers create videos where they model what they're supposed to, what students are supposed to be doing in the lab as well. So it's either like safety rules or like the instructions or like modeling, like actually the teacher is in front of the camera and students can see what that teacher is doing. And so, um, yeah. Okay. Great. Uh, you gave us, you know, an example already of a task that you have in your class or a lab. Um, do you have any other examples that you'd love to share with the listeners? And also thinking about these tasks that you had in your class, what were your students' reactions towards inquiry-based learning? I know that they're really excited about it, right? Because trying to get them to be more curious and more interested in what they're learning about. And then also reactions when you start implementing the model. So one thing that I used to do or used to. One thing I have been doing uh, is during my thermochemistry section, during my thermochemistry unit, I really like to focus in on calorimetry. So uh, calorimetry is just a pretty fundamental way of measuring heat in a chemistry lab. And so I usually focus on in on that first. And we do several little mini labs using calorimetry for the first three or four classes to really get their ideas out and like seeing how the heat changes when you add this thing to water. Why does it change? If this was a perfect, perfect world, what would the graph look like? Why is that? Why does it look like that now? Those kinds of things that I guide them through understanding to get to the eventual place of this is the way that you're supposed to do it according to IB. This is the way that we view this graph. This is these are the points that are important. By the time I get to having them watch that instructional video, they already know it. They just are getting new vocabulary words. I've noticed Um, the past two years that I've been implementing that is the students have grasped it so much quicker than any of the times that I've taught that before. So I I think it's really valuable. Are students pretty receptive to your instructional videos? Do they uh, prefer 
you lecturing versus videos or how does that work? Because I know you already said, right, like the past two years that you've been implementing the model, there's definitely been some retention, like students retain this information. Um, But have you heard students say like, oh, like, can you do like, you know, can you lecture, like teach us as a whole class as opposed to like the instructional video? Or is it just that you've balanced it so well that you do both really well? So I've definitely gone through my my share of mistakes last year. I wasn't as balanced as I was this year. And I had a lot of 10th graders like not having it. They were not, they were, they were tired of the videos at a certain point. And so I switched to lectures for a little bit and then I switched back. And so that on and off kind of thing, we had more whole group discussions to include those people and get them a little bit out of the so-called rut that they felt like they were in so that it made it more interesting. So there have been times where I've gotten less than positive um, feedback from students, but that is a point of taking in that feedback and changing and seeing, ah, maybe this part needs to be a bit more whole group. This part was not the best thing to make a video about. Maybe let's turn that into a whole class experience. That kind of thing has been a really great learning experience in doing modern classrooms. Yeah, and I think uh, I would have to piggyback off of what you said, right? It's really, really important to invite our students in to provide feedback. Yes. Because, uh, again, this is our learning journey, right? Like, we already learned all of this. This is actually being able to, like... As educators, we want to create this space for students to advocate for themselves and to also say, like, hey, this is how we actually learn best. Um, And so really opening up Mm -hmm. that floor of just like, hey, here's here's some feedback and then taking that. And students really, really respect that, I feel like. And and so you're right about on and off with the videos, right? Like I know for me, my sixth graders, I think it was like maybe the third unit or something. And my students were getting um, kind of like just done with the videos, right? It was like monotonous. And they were just like, oh, the energy was really low. And I knew my classes well enough to just kind of tell my students like didn't tell me like, Ms. G, we got to do something else. But I could tell (laughs) that the energy was off, like the vibe was off. So I decided like, you know what, we're going to take a break from the videos. Like, let's do like, let's do this together. Let's learn about it. Right. And, and so I talked to my team and we kind of reflected and we're like, you know what, let's be more intentional with having some more whole group discussions and whole group, um, lessons, right? As opposed to just always doing the instructional videos, because, you know, honestly, like we do get tired, even as adults, right? Like if it's the same thing, like, oh my gosh, we're going to do this again. And so it's kind of nice to have a break. And I think it's also a really nice reminder for our listeners and for our, you know, implementers who are just starting out, like, it's okay, like go back and forth, right? Like really get to know your students and get to know your class. And you can feel when the vibes are off and when, you just need to have a break and that's okay. And I think now when I talk to other mentees or just other implementers, I'm just like, you know what? Like there's been a lot of more intentionality when planning for classes because sometimes like teachers would do like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they self-pace and then Thursday, Friday is either review or whole group or something, right? Just to have, just to kind of mix it up a little. Um, and so 
definitely have fun with the model. Definitely have fun with your structure. Invite your students in. Have those conversations with them because I think it's really important. Again, this is their learning journey and not 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 ours. We're here to guide them. <laughs> Absolutely. Completely agree. Um, okay, so then what are one to two celebrations of implementing the model with your inquiry-based learning and then some challenges that you'd like to share with us? Well, um, some celebrations by doing the model in the first place has cut my grading down considerably. Love that. I could start not taking things home again when I started doing the model and that had really, really improved my mental health and like work-life balance. So I loved that. But on the student end, some things that I really, really loved seeing was it helped in doing those instructional videos to reinforce the concepts. It really, really helped show me that their fundamental understanding was there. The instructional videos plus the mastery checks showed me they understand this at a deeper level than what I had done before I started doing the MCP with the moder- uh, with the inquiry-based learning. So I'm very thankful for MCP and inquiry-based learning because I'm able to see those kinds of things. But some challenges are that you have to kind of plan a lot more ahead of where you are than you really might be able to sometimes like making an instructional video does not really happen right before class. Um, So sometimes you have to rely upon your ability to lecture again, but that is, that is only on occasion sometimes maybe. (laughs) You know, Jim, thank you so much for sharing that. I think, we definitely need to hear that more as educators is that, hey, there's actually a way to cut grading and yes, a way to have a work-life balance as an educator. What? <laughs> I know. And I'm such a, still such a new teacher that it's, I'm, it, I'm still in a learning process as I'm going. And so I'm not here tra- talking like I'm the expert on inquiry-based learning, but I am just someone available and really passionate about it. So thank you for honestly bringing me here to talk about it. Yeah. And definitely don't downplay that, Jim. I feel like your experiences have created some kind of expertise with inquiry-based learning and aligning it with our model. So um, we're really appreciative that, you know, you said yes to the podcast and, and you're just sharing as, you know, four years of teaching. Like I remember my seventh, my eighth, my ninth year of teaching, bringing stuff home um, and just never having enough time to celebrate my being. (laughs) I just always had, I just always had essays to grade. I always had reading to do. I always had, you know, like there was always something. And when I tell you, when I found Modern Classroom or when they found me, my 10th year of teaching, I was like, yo, I could have been doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I wish I could go back to my younger self and be like, do it this way. And I feel like, you know, with you, um, you're able to have this balance. And I, I love that for you. I, I want that for every educator out there is to not bring 
like not bring home any work to be able to actually take care of their mental health and also just like live, you know, outside of working um, because I'm definitely just finding some hobbies now and that's wild to me right and so um and you're absolutely correct on the on the student side of it right if if they didn't understand something they could re-watch the video it wasn't like a one and done kind of deal and there's never an excuse again right of just like well I don't know what we learned today um it's more like okay well now check 1.2 please because it's there <laughs> um, and it's like, oh, you weren't in school because you had something to do. That's that's fine, right? Like, I'm welcome back. I really appreciate you being here. But now here's like 1.2. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like, right here. there's never, yeah, there's never. I I just I've always shared this too. It's like I just always was so annoyed having to catch my students up because I had to teach and then I had to catch, you know, the the student or students up with like the stuff that they were missing. And I just could never get a hang of it. And I wasn't annoyed at the students. I was just annoyed at the situation. There just wasn't a, a good system for me to be able to serve all of my students. And with instructional videos, like I've always wanted to do that, but I never knew how to do it. And so I never tried it. And so with this model, it was like, oh, snap. Like, okay, the student didn't get it. You know what? The parents, you know, families, caregivers, whatever, like send that video on over and they can sit together um, and kind of learn together. And so I, I, I love that accessibility part of it too. And another thing too, um, Jim, you're so right about planning ahead, right? Um, I mean, you could definitely do your videos before class <laughs> if you are. Oh, that I, I, I have tried. I've done it. They're <laughs> no. just not the best of my videos. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. I know. Like if you are a brave soul and that is what you want to do, you like to, you know, take risks, go for it. Because um, I, I know that a couple of our implementers, again, who have been implementing this model for a couple of years now, they're able to do that because they're just used to it already. Right. But if you're just starting out, um, I don't recommend <laughs> <laughs> no, no, um, no. <laughs> but and if but if that's what you have to do, that's what you have to do, right? We have an implementer who does it every morning before class, and that's kind of his routine, and that's okay, right? Like that's their routine, and so I feel like, again, based on what you know your processes look like or what your your routines look like before you get started for work or how you plan, like. Just be mindful that when you start out with instructional videos, it definitely could take a while. Um, and then as far as planning is concerned, too, I just find it like I know that I was definitely guilty with like trying to come up with something to teach the day of. <laughs> come on now, everyone's done it. And so um, with this model, I really, again, had to be a lot more intentional and a lot more meaningful. And I was really grateful to have three other English teachers to work with so that we can kind of share the load. So we would take turns planning, we would take turns creating the tasks, the videos, all of that good stuff. And so this is why I always tell our educators to like find someone to work with or find a teacher bestie so that you you both can kind of you know, bounce ideas off of each other as well as kind of help each other out. And so the planning ahead, it can be really overwhelming and daunting. Um, but again, once you get used to it, like once you get used to the routine of creating something, it's great. And also if you stay at the same school the next year, you could just 
you and you're teaching the same content, same grade, you can you can use the same things. You don't have to start all over. Um, but for the most part, I've heard that like first year implementers, they still tend to because they learn so much, they make their second year that much better. Completely agree with that. My my years have only improved since so. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of it's great. So again, thank you for being so like real about those um, the celebrations and challenges. Okay, so listeners, we're going to take a quick break for an announcement, and we when we come back, we will talk a little bit more about um, inquiry based learning as well as some tips and tricks on how to implement modern classroom and inquiry based learning. Hey listeners, it's Tony Rose here with some announcements and reminders. If you and or your teacher bestie are interested in the virtual mentorship program, we do have scholarships available. Make sure to check out modernclassrooms.org slash scholarships. We have regional scholarships available for educators in Baltimore City, New York City, D.C., Chicago, Tulsa County, and the Twin Cities that include full tuition, a year of implementation support, and a $500 stipend for finishing the program. We are continuing our scholarship across the state of Indiana, which includes implementation support and 30 PGPs. Any educator in the state can enroll right now at modernclassrooms.org Indiana. We also have partnerships with districts across the country who are paying for educators to go through our training. As for professional learning, make sure to check out our webinars page on modernclassrooms.org webinars. And to connect with our community, join our Twitter chat on the first Wednesday of the month and our virtual meetup on the second Wednesday of the month. Both are at 7 p.m. Eastern time. And we hope to connect with you outside of our podcast. All right, we're back with Jim to continue talking about inquiry-based learning. So, Jim, what would you say to educators who are hesitant to implement modern classroom in their inquiry-based learning environments? Ooh, uh, we talked a little bit about this before the break, but I would say take it slow because it can be a little overwhelming if you try to do it all at once. Believe me, been there, done that. Don't recommend but what I do recommend is if you're already doing things with group discussions or an exit ticket, add in a leveled activity, a must-do, should-do, and aspire-to-do kinds of prompts. Um, do those kinds of things where you're still self-pacing within a certain period of time within the class, but it still is a more comfortable structure for you. Start incorporating occasional instructional videos for a either a homework or a in-class activity. Everyone watches it together and you model the behavior of this is how we're going to watch the instructional video. Take it at your own pace. Don't feel like you need to do all of it at once. But I really think adding those leveled activities is that's the where that's where I started at first and have only progressed since. Oh, what a great bite-sized tip for educators that they can implement right away, right? And and yes. Yes. Yes, yes, yes to taking it slow because I definitely did not when I implemented this and <laughs> nope because <laughs> I was the one who was like, "Oh yeah, we're going to go hard." <laughs> And Kareem came into my room and was like, girl, calm down. You're doing too much. <laughs> so 
definitely take it slow. I think as educators, we do want to have our classes student-centered and we want to do things for our students all the time, which I think is beautiful. At the same time, when you're learning a brand new instructional model or even an instructional model that you have heard of but have never implemented, give yourself grace and take it slow Um, and figure out what works for you, just like what Jim said, right? Figure out what works for you because, yes, you want your students to be successful and you also want to be successful. So you know yourself best. (laughs) And so listen to um, how you do things in your classes, uh, release some things, hold on to some things, whatever it is that your heart desires. But definitely take it slow and give yourself lots of grace. Um, And so Jim, is there anything else that we should know? I think honestly, building up a network of like-minded people. So people that are interested in these kinds of more um, innovative pedagogy, so inquiry-based learning, modern classrooms projects, build up a group, whether that be on Twitter, whether that be through talking to people on the MCP Slack, plug, 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 <laughs> um, through the Moodle, or even in person at your school. Even if it's not in your subject group, you will find people that are interested in inquiry-based learning. For me, I was the only chemistry teacher for the last three years. So this is my first year with a person other than me that teaches chemistry. So not always will it happen in person, but there's other resources. There's a thriving community of inquiry-based teachers on Twitter. And I know we have um, little alcoves of them within the Modern Classrooms Project. So find those find those people and share ideas between each other. That's my main advice. That is so beautiful, Jim. I couldn't have said it any better. (laughs) Um, All right. So what do you hope to see in the future? What goals do you have? This could be an education. It could be whatever you want to share with us, honestly. Ooh, um, I don't want to get into my list of things that I want to see in education. Um, Because I think we would be spending another 40 minutes doing that. But what I have... (laughs) (laughs) What I have goals for myself are things about more incorporation of authentic assessment in my class that actually reinforces that curiosity mindset that I try to implement throughout the other points of the learning experience. So that's that's been my trial and error of this year is trying to get that going. Oh, and I love that. And I feel like you're going to get it. You're going to get there. And I can't wait to hear all the updates. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah, you got to keep me posted on that, Jim, because I would also like to just spread the news on how you did that. (laughs) Um, Okay, well, Jim, how can our listeners connect with you? Uh, I have two uh, two social medias for me being a teacher that I never use. But if you want to follow me, um, I do look at things on my Twitter and my Instagram at Kem Hall, C-H-E-M-H-A-L-L, similar to my name. I thought it was funny. And then email me at uh, the james.hall at modernclassrooms.org email. I'm a Modern Classrooms educator. I'm a mentor. I'm available at any of those three for questions or help or honestly just 
sharing some celebrations. And if you want to talk about tea as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I have a full-on tea spreadsheet if you need recommendations. I'm I'm your person. Yeah, you know, Jim, I feel like we have to put that in the show notes now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I will share. I'm fine with sharing the tea spreadsheet. Yes. <laughs> I and love that so much. <laughs> For the record, that spreadsheet is all of the teas that I personally own in my home. It's extensive. That is beautiful. I feel like now I'm going to have to come to Austin, have tea with you, and just listen to you tell me all about the tea. I I would love that, Tony Rose. I would love that. It's going to happen one day. We're going to manifest it. <laughs> Um, well, Jim, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. You always bring me so much joy when we're in the same space. Listeners, remember, you can always email us at podcast at modernclassrooms.org. And you can find the show notes for this episode at podcast.modernclassrooms.org slash 118. We'll have this episode's recap and transcript uploaded to the Modern Classrooms blog on Friday. So be sure to check there or check back in the show notes for this episode if you'd like to access those. Thank you all for listening. Have a great week and we'll be back next Sunday. Goodbye. Thank you so much for listening. You can find links to topics and tools we discussed in our show notes for this episode. And remember, you can learn more about our work at www.modernclassrooms.org and you can learn the essentials of our model through our free course at learn.modernclassrooms.org. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Modern Class Proj, that's P-R-O-J. We are so appreciative of all you do for students in schools. Have a great week, and we'll be back next Sunday with another episode of the Modern Classrooms Project podcast. Podcast.